There's three types of people who show up at networking events, real estate people, finance and insurance people, and unemployed people. And that's, that's, I mean, you know what? You see the same people at every one. Hi, my name's Kurt Mercadante, and I'm a husband, father, speaker, trainer, and disruptive entrepreneur whose mission is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And that's what this show is about. We're here to help you fight apathy and conformity in your life. We're here to interview and tell the stories of individuals around the world who are helping others live lives of freedom and fulfillment as well. This is the Freedom Club Podcast, and we're grateful you're here. And welcome to another episode of the Freedom Club Podcast. Yes, I'm going to say it because I say it every episode because I actually mean it. Very grateful and thankful that you are here. And once again, by the end of this episode, you're going to be very grateful that you showed up today. We have a very special guest. He is known as the Sales Hunter. If there was a Mount Rushmore for the presidents of Outbound Sales, today's guest would be on it. He's one of the godfathers of the Outbound Sales Conference. He's author of High Profit Selling, Win the Sale Without Compromising on Price. And I think that subtitle is almost more important than the first part, than the actual title, and High Profit Prospecting. He helps companies and salespeople find and retain better prospects. They can close at full price. Please join me in welcoming to the Freedom Club podcast, Mark Hunter. Mark, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm going to take you on the road to have you introduce me everywhere, okay? <laughs> it's a deal. It's a deal. So, Mark, you know, this is the Freedom Club podcast, and there's one question we ask all our guests, and depending on the guest, we get a variety of answers, political, social, economic, health-wise, relationship-wise, and of course, prosperity-wise and financial-wise, but they all have common themes. So I'm going to pose the question to you, what does the word freedom mean to you? Wow. I could run for hours on this, but <laughs> let's kind of call this down to a couple. It's the ability to set your own course and tack your way to that course. It's the ability to set your own goals. And it's the ability to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it. Freedom uh, is really what this country was founded on. And if you look at, at countries, uh, look at uh, businesses, look at anything, the greatest organizations, let's look, at, let's look at companies. It's amazing how great companies are created because their employees have freedom. Now, does that mean freedom to, to do whatever they want? No, but it's freedom in their thought, freedom in their thinking. And what does it do? It allows the company to propel itself to the next level. You see this in organizations. Uh, you see this in sports. You see this. I mean, even freedom. Let's go ahead and <clears throat> talk about this from a sports standpoint. Uh, a coach may call a prescripted play. This is going to be the series. And yet, even within that play, there's still the players know from their expertise, their knowledge, there's the freedom because they may have to block this way. They may have to dribble that way. They may have to pass that way. Uh, why? Because it's the ability for them to execute. Freedom takes on different definitions to different people. But um, hey, when it comes down to it, I love my freedom. <laughs> And, and you bring up a great point that, I, that I'd love to ask you about. So I have a book called Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. And one of the most common questions I get, because I talk to corporations and, and organizations like you do, is, well, why would a corporation want to bring you in? Freedom, doesn't that mean quit your job and go into entrepreneurship? And my answer usually is, well, isn't that sad that somehow we think that's the case? And you go in and you work 
you get your hands in with a lot of corporations, a lot of companies out there. And you brought up that concept of freedom within a sports team, within a corporate team. Do you see varying levels of freedom within organizations and a difference in, uh, we're not talking about a free-for-all where you go in and people, it's like Animal House, right? But where the employees, there's such a strong grip and they don't have freedom and that affects their performance? Yes, I, I, I do. You know, managers don't want their people to have freedom. Leaders want their people to have freedom. And I look at the high-performing organizations, which are led by high-performing people. Well, they attract high-performing people. High-performing people. Uh, Steve Jobs had a great line. I mean, maybe now, maybe I, I'm going to attribute it to Steve Jobs. He said, why do we hire the smartest people and then tell them what to do? Yeah. There's some, something wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, we want to hire smart people. So they tell us what to do. Because, I, you know, at, at the end of the day, the only sustainable competitive advantage any organization has is its people. How do I maximize the value? If, if I treat people, okay, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, when to think, and everything else. Why don't I just replace you with a machine? Because hmm. you'd be a lot more consistent. No, I'm hiring you as a person because I want you to bring added value to the marketplace. So I, I think there can be a big difference in there. I mean, I admit I left my job in corporate America, and I had a wonderful job in corporate America. Uh, to do what I do because I wanted more freedom. Hmm. So shh, don't spread that around, okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so shifting gears a bit here, or maybe not so much. You come into my organization or you come into my association to give a speech and I come up to you and I, the first thing I say is, well, I hope you're going to talk today about the fact that, you know, everyone knows it's a fact beyond a shadow of a doubt, cold calling is dead. What do you have to say about that? I love to shoot that myth down because I think cold calling is very much alive. Now, let's put some parameters around this because when you say cold calling is dead, I hear this all the time. I say that's kind of like a blanket comment. Now, blanket comments are great if you sell blankets, but I don't think you or I are selling <laughs> blankets. So we got to call this down. It, now, cold calling works wonderfully in many, many industries. You know, I, I do a lot of work in the transportation industry and in the labor industry and so forth and cold calling because I can, if, if, I, if I have temporary labor that I'm placing or if I have trucks that haul freight and so forth, I know that I can cold call anybody who has freight to move and boom, they could be a potential client. I mean, if I'm doing labor, I can call anybody who hires employees and they could be, see. So again, I mean, now is that cold calling or is that targeted calling? You see, again, this whole thing. It's not like we're picking up a phone book. I don't, even, I don't even know if a phone book exists. So what I'm doing is I'm doing targeted calling. And then, and then depending on the industry and whether or not I'm in what I call a closed environment. For instance, if I sell life insurance, virtually anybody can buy life insurance. So I have an open market. If, however, I'm selling Boeing aircraft, that's a closed market. Because there's really only a couple hundred potential customers globally, see. So am I going to cold call those 200? No, because there's only 200. I'm going to do select, I'm going to do research before I reach out to everyone. Now, if I'm selling life insurance to millions and millions of people, I don't have to be so worried about doing any kind of research. I can just call. I'm going to targeted call because I'm probably going to target a certain segment. Ooh, you see, again, I'm still, even within the context of cold calling, I'm still targeting. 
and and you know leading into something else you write about which is uh you well you write about it not only in the context of networking but also in filling your pipeline which is the well there's two things there's a lot of people who do a shotgun approach to networking and have in their mind well you never know who you're going to meet. And I always say, well, no, you should actually know who exactly you want to meet. I was just telling the story and I can't remember. Someone years ago told me a story that they didn't golf. They hated golf, but they knew that their prospects hung out at X and, you know, XYZ golf course. So they actually bought golf clothing and, a, and some clubs and they would go there and hang out in the bar. Um, this spray and pray approach to networking, to selling. I think realtors are the worst at this, where they attend every event. They work 90 hours a week in the hopes that they'll run across the one person who is looking to buy a house for three dollars to $400,000. You talked about targeting and targeting your cold calling. How big of a problem is it with this kind of shotgun approach, just hit everything with the fire hose and hope it comes through and then hope you get brownie points for being busy? Networking is not prospecting. Let's just, let's just drop the mic on that one right there. I, I, people go to networking events because they're too afraid to have one-on-one conversations with people they don't know. That, that, that's, that's fine. So what do they do? They go to this networking event and networking is about as effective as standing on a street corner with a sign saying, hi, I need a job. Okay. <laughs> it's just random people passing by. Networking, you go to a networking event and you use the real estate agent. Oh man, it seems like there's, there, there's three types of people who show up at networking events, real estate people, finance and insurance people, and unemployed people. And that's, that's, I mean, and, and all everybody does is they breathe each other's exhaust. I mean, you go to any community and here's a Tuesday night networking thing. And then Thursday night, Friday, and you know what? You see the same people at every one, you see the same people. So isn't this great that every realtor can be sitting there selling to every other realtor? Oh, but we're going to create relationships. We're going to create partnerships. Oh man, please. You're killing me. People. See, being busy is not being productive. And, and this is a big misnomer. I'll go to networking events very, very selectively only if I have a very high probability that there's a specific person or two there that I want to meet. Because again, it's not the thing of going to a networking event and getting 50 business cards. Who cares? I want to go to a networking event to have one or two key conversations. And I kind of treat networking event a little bit like social. Oh, oh, let me go ahead and drop. Let me go ahead and say it right now. Social selling. <laughs> it's neither social and it's neither selling. Okay. Okay. So that's, okay. Anyway, it's a little bit like social media. Gee, I'm connected to all these people on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. Who cares? Right. My objective on social media is I may have an online connection, but my goal is to create an offline conversation. So if I go to a networking event, I may meet you, but my goal is to then have a follow-up conversation with you one-on-one. But I, I, I'm, ooh, networking, creepy. Well, on that note, I, I don't know if you were, I think I said it in the email. There was in, it was in Mike Weinberg's book. He quotes yes. you about, I can't yep. remember the exact quote, but likes yep. and views don't pay the bills. Yep. And I don't yep. know if you know this, but your picture is on a slide I've given in some talks about that at events that are all about LinkedIn. Right. And I'm there to talk about LinkedIn and I tell them it's a great tool, just like a typewriter is a tool, yeah. just like yeah. a pencil is a tool. Yeah. But I, I did a post actually on LinkedIn the other day. You know, there's a lot of people. So when I came into LinkedIn, 
Um, I mean, I've been on LinkedIn since whatever, 2003, and I never used it. But I started realizing they came, they did videos. And I paid a bunch of money when I shut down my agency on webinars and we're going to do all the things they're supposed to do. I'm going to run Facebook ads and everything. I didn't get a single 20 grand, not a single client. So I started posting videos. LinkedIn video came out and there's a lot of people who came around the same time. We built a community. It was great. Wonderful. A lot of those people aren't around anymore because they thought likes and views were the same as building a business. So I did a post the other day about it. And by the way, in year one, I made some good money on inbound, but it was feast or famine. I wasn't in control of my destiny. And then they changed the algorithm and then I was a slave to the algorithm. But I did a post the other day about all these people who go around speaking about the views they got on social media and then saying, hire me because I got views on social media. So now I'm a coach or a strategist and I'm going to help you get views. And they go around from, from event to event. And so I, numerous people, well, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. I have a lot of irons in the fire. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I got, I'm getting so many views. I got a million views and I went to this LinkedIn event and that Facebook event. Great. Well, but how's the business going? It's going great. I got this many views. Well, no, how many clients do you have? Well, and I guess the gist of my post was likes and views aren't a business. An idea isn't a business. Networking events aren't a business. Paying customers are a business. <laughs> that, that, <clears throat> wow, you said so much there. <laughs> I mean, I mean I really is true. I mean, no, no, but this is, I mean, this, I'm, and the line I've used is you can't take clicks and likes to the bank. That's it. I that's mean, it, it just, it, it, it just does not work. I mean, uh, my bank only, only takes money and I have had more people come to me and they, they say, oh, they've spent $20,000 on this program, 30,000, 10,000, 5,000. And cause they were going to get this great social, social media presence and they never have to sell again because they just cust- so many customers would be coming to them and they wind up broke. Um, it, it, is, it, is, it is selling to people who are not serious about really understanding how to sell because they're trying to take this easy way out, right? I, I have watched more people come into this space. They're going to help you sell social selling. They're going to help you do this and all this sort of stuff. Now, what's funny is I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn probably about 10 minutes a day, okay? And in fact, I've become known because like you, in terms of video, I post a five to 10 second video every morning or every night on LinkedIn. And these are done just from my iPhone and they're always done from an airport. And it's just a quick sales tip. It's a quick motivational piece. That's it. That's it. And it takes me 30 seconds to do. And I travel 250 days a week. So I never have a problem being in an airport. And um, I post these. And what's funny is, is have I gotten work? Yeah, I've gotten work. Yes, yes. I have companies who call me up and they say, wow, you travel all over the world. You were in Singapore airport. You were in, you were in Hong Kong. You were in, you know, you were in Amsterdam. You were, you were in Seattle or LA. Wow, that, that's, you know, we got to hire you. But it's not my core strategy. That's not my core strategy. I just kind of do that for, I, I don't want to say for yuck yucks but it's not my core sales strategy. I would never attempt to rely on social media to drive my business. That's folly. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you, you become a slave to the algorithm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, had, um, uh, I was having a discussion with, uh, with someone the other day and they, uh, I have an event coming up next week and my own event, Freedom Club Festival, you know, and, and someone saw my ads. I'm running retargeting ads to anyone who comes to my website. Right, which is great. 
And they said, how's that working out for you? Selling a lot of tickets? I said, no, not a one. And he said, well, why do you do it? And this is something you write about in your book about marketing not being selling. Marketing is about awareness, which is what I said. I said, so if I call them, so I had a call yesterday from LinkedIn, but outbound uh, message. And it was three messages. And it was that getting that commitment just to talk for 10 minutes. Turned into it. Now this person's a real prospect. We're having another probably four meetings. But, you know, work, and you read about this too. It all works together where he said on the call, yeah, I've seen your videos and I've seen it. Well, he's maybe seen a year worth of videos, never was motivated to pick up the phone. And then I called him and it clicked. That is so key. See, you're, you, it, it's, it's not social selling, it's social marketing. Because what you're doing is you're creating awareness. This is exactly what I do with my videos. It's, uh, you know, we, we post several times a week on our blog. We have YouTube and all that sort of stuff. It's just to create awareness. So when I call you, yeah, it, it's the same reason uh, Coca-Cola does a ton of advertising. I mean, how much advertising do you see on Coca-Cola? What are they doing? They're just trying to keep the awareness out there. They're trying to keep the awareness. Now, if Coca-Cola needs to do that, if Apple needs to do that, if Nike needs to do that, excuse me, I think Mark Hunter needs to be doing that. (laughs) But I don't let that drive the process. In other words, that supports the process. Because otherwise I become, and, and I see so many people, well, you know, my business is really going to take off when we get this new website built, or my business is really going to do this. My business is really going to do it. Hey, look, look, cowboy, just pick up the phone, start calling, make the calls. And it's amazing what kind of business, you, just, just like you said, you go in and, and you, you, you sit down with somebody, you have some conversations and it's amazing how that's going to lead to a next step and next step and next step. I mean, I have, I, I have many, many times jumped on a plane to fly all the way across the country to sit down and meet with somebody who is purely just a prospect. But I know if I get face-to-face with them for half an hour, an hour, chances are we can come out of it with a pretty sizable, sizable deal. You, bring up, you brought up the, you know, the tools and leaning on the tools and making, making excuses because of the tools. And I, I, I talked to someone recently as well. Where have you, what have you done since last week? Well, I got my LLC and I started the company. No, no, those are inputs. What outcomes did you achieve? Well, I'm still waiting. There was a password problem with Sales Navigator and I can't get into Sales Navigator. I said, what if the internet was wiped out tomorrow and your life depended, which by the way, it does, on you selling for your family? What would you do? Well, I guess I'd pick up the phone. Okay, period. See you next week. You know, and um, you, in your book, you write about it. You give a whole bunch of clear questions you should ask as you're prospecting and all that. And at the end, you said, notice, I didn't have one word in there about the CRM. Right. And so when right, you talk right. about excuses, it right. reminded me of that, that people right. are, they'll blame it on the CRM. They'll blame oh, it on the algorithm. Oh, oh, people always, people love to create excuses because, well, what, what they're doing is they're creating excuses for their own ineptitude. And well, you know what? I've got to really spend all day here getting my CRM working. I've got to spend all day here. I got to do this. I got to do this. And look, that's not going to put food on your table. I mean, I really hate to say this. In in my next book that is coming out, I have a whole chapter on on the travails of CRM systems and the SaaS, the the sales stack programs. I I, I call out all these number of different, um, wow, I didn't know I need this. I didn't know I need this. I mean, 
you know, all these uh, solution software. And I think, you know, what it is, is people are coming up with a solution to a problem that doesn't even exist. And I see so many people, well, you know what, I'm going to get this software, I'm going to download this. And that's going to, that's going to help me really understand better or help me, you know, manage. No, just look. I mean, you know, what's funny? My, as uh, my CRM system, my preferred CRM system, and actually we use HubSpot, we use Zoho, we have Karma, we have several, because I have, I have Salesforce, because we have clients. My preferred one I use is Evernote, hmm, okay. which is just simply, a, it's an online notebook that I use, that I use for everything. That is my own personal CRM system. Um, guys, we, 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 we can screw up a two-car funeral overthinking this. I mean, we really do. Sales is not complicated. It, what are you and I doing here today? We're just having a conversation. Yeah. We are having, a, and it's amazing what happens when you have a conversation. See, one of the things that people forget about sales is trust. There has to be a factor of trust. And the greater the price, the more trust there has to be. You know, if, 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 I, walk in, if I walk into Walmart and something is three or four dollars, and it doesn't work, I could care less. You know, it doesn't matter. But I'm not going to walk into a store. I'm not going to go online. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm not going to spend $1,000 or even $500 or $100,000 or a million dollars without having a high degree of trust. How do I create trust? It's what you and I are doing right now. It's a conversation. Conversation. Trust precludes any sale. Trust must exist in any sale for the sale to be completed. One, one common theme throughout the books is, you know, you talk about price, but you talk about value and benefits and what are the values and the benefits and, and people focusing on, well, my price isn't right. Having confidence and all that. Um, but one thing you don't say it like this, and obviously there are certain caveats, but the, the salesperson, his or herself, and that salesperson's confidence in themselves and the impact of the product they are going to have. You know, I had Victor Antonio on here and he used the frame, hey, all things being equal, you're the X factor. And I sense that common theme throughout that if you don't have that sense of self-awareness and you don't have confidence and you're not truly productive and you're terrified, I see this with a lot of business owners, well, I'm not worthy. So you drop your price through the, through the floor, a lot of that internal work is as important as the product itself. Uh, he, if, if you wouldn't buy from yourself, why do you think anybody else would buy from you? <laughs> and I look at the lack of confidence so many salespeople have because, you know, it's, it's an old line. The first thing people buy is they buy you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, and, and, and it is true. I mean, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, it, 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 it's funny. Um, Let's go ahead and use Apple, major, major item. Tim Cook, Steve Jobs. People have major confidence in those two individuals. And, you know, if, if Tim Cook had not been able to create the level of trust, would Apple still be what it is today after following Steve Jobs? No, not at all. You, you, you look at some of, some, of the, some of the issues Facebook is having. Is it because Mark Zuckerberg hasn't created that same level of trust. Do people not have, I truly believe, I truly believe. And now how does this translate down to the individual person? 
it, it, it is amazing how if, if I'm sitting here and I'm trying to sell you X number of widgets or whatever, uh, do you believe in me? Do you have confidence in me? Because the only measurement of a sale is what comes after the sale. Think about this for a moment. Um, my objective with any sale I make is to create the next sale. And this is a measurement of the, the level of quality and the level of um, outcomes I create with you. Because if I, if I deliver on the outcomes I'm to deliver, then you're going to come back and you're going to ask me for more. You're going to want to buy more. You're going to refer me to more, et cetera, et cetera. So I always ask people, uh, what is the measurement of return, repeat, referral business that you're getting? And if your business is not having a upward trajectory of that line, now not perfectly straight up line, there's going to be wheels and shakes, but if it's not trending upward over a longer period of time, something's wrong. Hmm. And, and it doesn't come down to what it is that you sell. It comes down to the expectations you create and the outcomes people expect. That's what you're focused on. Too many young people today. Ooh, young people. Wow. Damn. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sell this because I just don't like it. I just don't use it. It, it. It's not what you sell. It's the outcome you create. That's what you want to be focused on. It's the outcome you create. That, that, that jazzes me. That gets me excited in the morning because what does that mean? I get to help people. You see, sales, sales is not about selling. Sales is about helping others see and achieve what they didn't think was possible. Wow, isn't that the ultimate definition of freedom? Wow, there you go. Helping others see and achieve what they didn't think was possible. That's what sales is. But I can't get you to see that. I can't get you to believe that until you've created a level of trust with me. And oh, by the way, that trust is always built on a foundation of integrity. Wow. Comes back to you. You know, there's no such thing as a company. It's people within the company. It's people within the company. You know, if you, if you look at it, we, we can go ahead and hold this up right now. Let's hold up Boeing. Boeing has got a major problem. Major problem. I grew up in Seattle. I have a lot of relatives that work for Boeing. And, you know, you really question what's happened over there. Was that the company or was that people? It was people. Now, again, is it true or perceived? I don't know. But see, perception becomes reality. What we believe becomes our perception and our perception becomes our belief. This is, this is what we in sales are challenged with having to overcome, having to create. What's the belief I can create in you? so that you'll perceive. Yeah, I was actually, I was just a total digression here. I was just having that same discussion with someone. Uh, I grew up and I am Catholic. They have a, a great many perception problems. Oh, yeah. Our, our bishop here has been accused of something going back 10 or 15 years. And the sad part is because of the mess that the church hierarchy has created from purely a percent, well, not yeah. just a perception yeah, standpoint, yeah. legal percent and all that. Usually innocent till proven guilty, you know, now as hard as I try, they've created such a perception problem, but it's the same with any old 
product. Um, I mean, you even look at Microsoft, there was Gates and then there was Balmer and now Microsoft. I actually, I'm an Apple fanboy and I'd like to talk about Apple because you write about Apple, but I just switched over to the Surface um, because I like a tablet and I like a laptop, but I don't want to have to pay 4,000 for two separate ones and I want one, but, but on price. And you, you write a lot about price and th- that's the subtitle. And I think that's so important because, uh, and a lot of that goes up to, to confidence is you know, you want to, it's funny. You want to start an argument, pull out your iPhone in front of like diehard Android users. And they will say, you're a member of the evil empire and all that. And they make fun of people who sit in the rain, sleet, snow, and hail to buy a thousand dollar phone that let's face it, when it comes down to it, if you didn't know anything better, they do the same things, right? Why can Apple sell things for $1,000 or three times what a PC or Google can and get away with it and have their customers not see it as expensive and maybe see them as cheap and non-Apple users say, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. I can't believe you buy that. Oh, I, I, yes, very much so. It comes down to the confidence factor and how does this emotionally make you feel? Now, this is what's funny. Let's break this down. People always say B2C business to consumer is an emotional experience and B2B is a price. No, uh, uh. Hmm. emotion and price come into both. They come into both. Because it's amazing how if I get a cheap price, my emotions will feel a lot different (laughs) if it's an expensive price. Now, but here's what's very interesting. See, now I'm an Apple fan. I'm totally in in the Apple ecosystem. And you're right. I pay more. I, 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 bought a new, I knew, bought a new MacBook Pro here about six months ago, and I probably paid double what I would for a regular computer. But see, I look at it in the context of my overall business. I look at it, I say, okay, I'm going to have this computer for several years. Here's what I do. Here's what I do. And it's, it's chunk change in terms of a productivity tool. You see, it's, it, to me, it's positioned as the outcome I'm going to create because of the computer. Microsoft, great example there because you went through Gates, Balmer, and Satya Nardella. Now, wow, has that company gone through a transformation? Because, you know, Gates, totally visionary and that was exploding. Balmer came in and it was all about protecting the shareholder. It was just, it was just protecting the shareholder and, and margins are going to go through the roof. And Satya has come in. And wow, has he reinvented, repositioned the company? I mean, suddenly it's become the hot, the hot kid. Wow. Mm. Isn't that interesting how perceptions changed? Mm. And as a result, then I'm gonna believe and I'm gonna do differently. You know, on that note about, you know, just focusing on the shareholder and the and the thing. And 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 listen, you and I, we talked out before we came on here, we talked about money and you and I both like money. I mean, you know, it's at it, but you you have a whole chapter on profit. Um but then throughout the books, and you've even used it here, you don't use the word profit a whole lot throughout the rest of your books, I noticed. You don't use money. You're not like the Alec Baldwin. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? We're going to bank, we're going to bank, we're going to bank. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gurus out there, right? Who do that. They're the salespeople. I would argue they're more marketing people than salespeople. But it's all about money and bank and the private jet. And I'm not saying having a private jet is wrong. One day I would love to have one, all that. But 
you've used this several times while we've been talking and throughout the book, you talk about it. Yeah, you talk about profit and the importance of profit and profit is not a dirty word. But you also talk many more times about value and helping people, whether it's in the initial prospecting call, whether it's helping them through the process and helping them get there. And you don't, you don't, it's not about you want to take the money from their wallet. You know, you, you, you got to get them to buy even if they're, can you talk to that? Because a lot of people have a lot of problems with that and maybe they just have a problem with money overall, you know? <laughs> yeah, the biggest, the, the people who have problems with money are the ones who don't have money. Uh, okay, now, okay, <laughs> we're not going to get into this economic warfare thing. Right. Here's the whole thing about profit. It is amazing. And let's go ahead and use Nordstrom. Let's use Nordstrom as an example. I talk about it in my book. And uh, very high-end department store. Now, I, uh, I have several Nordstrom suits, Nordstrom shirts, shoes, and so forth. And I'll tell you what, I paid, I paid a lot of money for a particular pair of shoes I have. But I'll tell you what, they're great. <laughs> they are absolutely so comfortable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And uh, I'm sure Nordstrom made a lot of money off me. I'm sure they make a lot of money off me. I use Tumi, I use Tumi luggage. Now, there's more expensive brands out there, but Tumi is still pretty high end. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I paid for the current bag I use. I paid quite a bit more. But you know what? That bag is going to last me twice, three times as long. And I'm sure Tumi's making very, 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 very profitable. Profit is absolutely essential to any company because it does a couple of things. It allows you to reward and reinvest. It allows you to reward your investors, your employees, et cetera, and it allows you to invest. And when I make more money in my business, and I have, you know, I have three employees myself. When, we make more, when I make more money in my company, what does it allow me to do? It allows me to reinvest into the company. It allows me to do more things. What does it do? It allows me to create more satisfaction. When I create more satisfaction, I create more value. I create better outcomes. I, I, I can serve more people. There's a very explicit reason why when you sit down on a plane and the flight attendant goes, in case of loss of oxygen, air mask will fall from the ceiling and Put your air mask on first before helping those around you. You see, you got to make profit first before you can help others around you. If, if I'm having to scrounge for food, uh, it's not a pretty sight. I can't help anybody. I would love to. First of all, I love that. Uh, second of all, I'd like to end on a discussion about mindset because mm-hmm. that is the topic of your next book. And it is a key theme throughout your two books. And, you know, a lot of people think about mindset and they think about sales and they think about like getting pumped up before they're going to bench press 500 pounds or they think, oh yeah, it's, it's brute force and I'm going to run through walls. It's a lot more than that, isn't it? Oh, wow. In fact, there, there's a video I just made the other day. In fact, I just um, saw it again the other day. Um, sales is not a profession because what I say is that sales is not a profession. It's not even a job. Sales is a lifestyle. Hmm. And when you view sales as a lifestyle, it is amazing how it changes your mindset. Here, here's a, a simple little piece. If, if you put this in mind and yesterday when I was on the college campus speaking to a couple classes of college seniors, 
I say, your goal every day is to influence and impact people. That's what your goal is, to influence and impact people. And never forget that because that's your goal. That's your objective. Because when you can influence and impact people in a positive manner, it's amazing the legacy that you create. Now, there will be others who will influence and impact you, and you'll remember them for years to come. But stop and ask yourself this question. If I have the ability to influence and impact people, do I create more trust? I definitely create more trust. When I begin to do this, does this change my mindset? It certainly does. Because here's what I find. And again, this is what I challenge salespeople. If anybody, if any salespeople are having issues, I say start the day off by doing two things. One, start the day off by writing down all the outcomes that you've helped your customers achieve. You know, you, you, you write down all these outcomes and then you give yourself a big hug. Go, mm, I love myself. I love myself. I'm very good. And, 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 then, and then stop and make a call to an existing customer. Make a call to an existing customer. And they're going to tell you how much they enjoy working with you, how much they like working with you. And it's amazing how your mindset's going to change. Because here's what I find. I can have two set. In fact, just the other day, I was with a company. And wow, inbound sales, outbound sales. But they're all sitting in a telemarketing center. And there were several people there that were just crushing it. And they basically had the same list. And other people that just couldn't get anything done. And it was purely the mindset. Because I can have two people look at the exact same situation, have the exact same opportunity, and one is going to see opportunities, and the other is going to see, oh, there's nothing here. You see, it comes back to that, do you view life as having nothing but scarcity, hmm. or do you view life as abundance of opportunities? And, and, and this is really coming up right now in the whole political spectrum. I mean, the whole political spectrum. We see candidates that are playing off this scarcity mentality. And are you looking at abundance? And when I look at abundance, it's amazing what happens because I see things differently. And when I see things differently, I'm able to listen better. You know, sales really is nothing more than listening. It, 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 it is listening. You know, what's very funny is I go into a doctor and, and I tell a doctor I have some pain and then doctor checks my vital signs. So what's the doctor doing? The doctor's listening. The doctor's listening to me. The doctor may, may, may say, hey, cough or, or, you know, let me check your heartbeat. Let me, let's draw a blood sample. What does the doctor do? They're listening. See, we in sales want to walk in and prescribe right off, right off the bat. And that's not going to happen. Uh, it, it, this is what's so funny. Um, I can walk up to two people on the street and I can walk up to somebody and go, are you stupid? And they're going to sit there and say, no, I'm not stupid. <laughs> but if I walk up to another person and I engage them in just asking them some questions and maybe it's complex questions that they can't answer me or some, I can get them to realize that they are stupid. <laughs> but, but see, the first person isn't going to believe it, but the second person is going to believe it. You see, now, that's not manipulative questions, no. What I'm doing is I'm, my whole goal is to listen to you and to ask you questions to get you thinking. There, there, I, I got to share a very quick story. I yeah. was with a company recently. They, they asked me to come in and keynote. And the VP of sales said, wow, this is great. I want to have some more conversations with you and so forth. The VP of sales was new, new in her role, and she's really crushing it. 
And uh, she said, let's have a follow-up conversation. So anyway, I left there and uh, I got thinking about it. And, 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 and I developed about 10 questions that she needed to answer. That, that it was just, let her do some thinking. And I emailed it to her. She called me the day, she called me the next day. She said, I don't, I hate you. I go, oh, this is, this is not going to end well. <laughs> and, and then she cracked up laughing. She said, I woke up at 2.30 this morning and I thought I'd check my phone and there was your email and I read those questions and I couldn't go back to sleep because <laughs> you got me thinking so much. You know what? I did my homework. That worked because she said, hey, we got it. We got to arrange time. We got to arrange time. I want to talk to you more. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing a whole series of, uh, it's going to be a massive project I'm, I'm going to do for them. But what did I do? I just got the brain thinking, the brain working. That, that's really, when I can get you, the customer, to engage your brain, it's amazing what happens. Wow. But anyone, oh, anyone who's married will know the benefit of asking questions. Oh. Well, anyone who's a man and married will know the benefit of asking questions versus prescribing things off the bat. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I, I, I had somebody say the best marriage advice is pretend you're the McDonald's drive through window. <laughs> We're just listening and taking the order, right, right, right? And I go, you know what? That's probably pretty good advice. You know? well, uh, but, but, but think about it. But think about it. It, it. it still comes back to a relationship. And, and think about a marriage. Think about a marriage that works. Um, is there negotiating still going on? Sure, there's always negotiating. But if it's a strong marriage, you're coming from levels of trust. So the negotiating is very, very minor. You know, if there's no trust, you look at, unfortunately, a couple that has gone through divorce, whatever, and we're dealing with kids and so forth. And if it's not an amiable type situation, boy, there's negotiation on every holiday, on every birthday. Every, wow. Trust. Tru you know, I, I, I always say trust is the currency of business. Trust is the currency of business. That's huge. Why do people have, why do have people have issues with government today? Because they don't trust. Right. Yeah. Or anyone now. I mean, or, or, I mean right, right. They're, yeah. they're not trusting. Yeah. They don't trust uh, uh, big anything. Yeah. Pick it, put any word behind big. And yeah. that's part of the problem. They yeah, call yeah, it big yeah. whatever. Hey, right? th this is the measurement of trust. This is the measurement of trust. Watch two people walk into a Starbucks or any kind of coffee place, order some foo-foo drink, okay? And they get it, Okay. The person who has trust in the barista does not remove the lid to look at the drink. Hmm. The person who, who, you know, you know, because they trust the barista, it's, it's going to be right. The person who doesn't have trust opens the lid up to look inside the drink. Oh, does this, does this look right? <laughs> okay, that was a real scientific process. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And you know what? We're, there's, there's a lot more questions I could ask. You, you talk, you know, on this program, I go off on abundance and scarcity so many times, and you write about the importance of limiting what you're listening to. I, uh, Tim Ferriss calls it a low-information diet because that affects your abundance. But since your next book is all about mindset, I'd love to have you back. Hey, we will do it. A Mind for Sales comes out first, late first quarter, 2020. Yeah, we'll, we, will, we, will do, we will do this dance again. Absolutely. And I will talk to you then. I'll see you at Outbound. I'm going to be there next year. Mark Hunter, 
Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, can, can I can I put one plug in for the website? Yes, the absolutely. And we're yeah. going to link, by the way, we're going to link to oh, everything, right. okay. but please okay. do. I forgot okay. to ask. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. It's, it, it's thesaleshunter.com. And yes, that was my real last name, okay? I did not <laughs> you didn't change, change it. People, people always ask me, what was your name before you changed it to Hunter? I said, no, that was my real last name, okay? Get over it. No. <laughs> I've had freedom. people ask me if I dye my beard. Oh, I oh, said, oh, I, nope. I, 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 you know, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Well, thank you so hey. much, Mark, for being a guest. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. 